This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Measured Thoughts on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here's your host, David Reedstein. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Measured Thoughts on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Dave Reepstein, a professor of marketing here at the Wharton School, and I'm joined, as always, in studio by my co-host and no longer a Ph.D. candidate. Congratulations to Neil Betty, who passed his dissertation defense. So congratulations Thank you, Thank on you that. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Thank you. So a really, really great. Um, let me remind our audience that we are live every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 132. We're replayed throughout the week. And we have guests on the air, and we talk about marketing, and we talk about how marketing has an impact on the financials of the firm. That's part of what it is that we do. Um, We can't go on the air at this time on Monday without mentioning the tragedy that's going on. And I say the world tragedy that's going on with with the fire in Paris, really sad. Uh, Notre, sad. Notre Dame Cathedral. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it sort of is a, a, an iconic sort of symbol of Paris. Absolutely. And um, it's, it's sad. It's, it's very, really very sad, sad yeah. for, for sure. So um, my heart goes out to all of those in Paris and to the, to the world mm-hmm. for, uh, for such a great loss. Um, in a totally different note, we saw Tiger Woods win the, oh, uh, the yes. Masters this weekend. Oh, wow. What a wonderful comeback story that uh, is. Uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Many people say it's the best sports com- uh, comeback ever, uh, uh, any sport. Um, now, it's with an 11-year absence, yeah. and he was such a, a four, icon of the sport. And Master not winning. How, yeah. how fantastic, fantastic is that? Then we have other craziness going on, which is Game of Thrones oh, yes. final season. We won't, give any, we won't give away any spoilers if you haven't watched yesterday's episode. But we will maybe talk about Game of Thrones, nevertheless. Was it on yesterday? It was on yesterday. Oh, I missed missed that. Okay, well, you know, it's part of what ends up happening. Um, We have a very particular uh, uh, guest that I'm I'm quite excited about today. And um, and I'm going to tease this guest by asking a question of the audience of what you think the role of the chief marketing officer of a newspaper is should be. What mm-hmm. should that role be? We're going to talk a little bit about that. When we get to our guest, David Rubin, who is the chief marketing officer of the New York Times, the New York Times. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm very, very excited to have him on the air with us. He's a former student of mine um, and went on and did great things. I was very proud of him and everything when I knew he went to Unilever mm-hmm. and he, he was in charge of Axe brand acts. Wow. I worked a little bit with him there, just a, a little bit. He ended up running um, the hair care part of Unilever and did a great job with that. And then he made this major transition and ran marketing for Pinterest. Oh, wonderful. And and now he's doing the New York Times. How cool is that? It's very, it's very it, interesting. It, it uh, just uh, absolutely amazing. So we're going to have to get to him. We're going to talk to him in the first segment of the mm-hmm. program. And in the second segment of the program, what it is we're going to do is we're going to open the lines for hearing other people's perspectives on what the role of the CMO for a newspaper should be. But we'll also take any questions you have on marketing, branding, metrics, and anything else that you happen to have on on your mind. So if you want to, give us a call at 1-844-WARDEN. That's 1-844-942-7866. 
Um, you can certainly give us a call and ask David Rubin a question or in the uh, second part of the program, ask Neil and I any question. You can also email us at measuredthoughtsxm at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at biz, that's B-I-Z, Radio 132. But without further ado, let me turn to one of the world's most innovative CMOs, uh, as named by business insiders, uh, David Rubin. David, glad to have you on the air. Uh, Thank you. Thank you both for having me. I appreciate it. Well, very, very excited to be talking to you. It's been a while since I've talked to you last, and actually... I saw that you had. Uh, I saw you were on the agenda of a conference that I had gone to last year up at Yale, and you're on the agenda for this year. And I thought, darn, I wish I was going to that conference. Now that I see you're on the agenda, that's that's great. So uh, that's when I said, I got to get you on the air here, and uh, and and delighted to have you on the air. So let me start with the softball question for you. Um, How'd you come to be at the New York Times? You know, I sort of gave a brief history of your background. What's your background, and why the New York Times? Yeah, well, you know, I'm a. Um, after I left business school, I actually went uh, to Unilever, um, and uh, stayed there quite a bit of time, uh, fifteen, sixteen years. So I'm a classic consumer products marketer, um, classic brand marketer, and uh, you know, I re- I could see how the world was changing around me, and I had been doing, you know, I. I brought uh, Axe to the United States, and in doing that, had really sort of gotten the bug for a lot of digital marketing, and had done some of Unilever's first digital marketing. And so, I'd always kept in touch with the with the West Coast and uh, and with um, digital marketing in general. And I'd been giving some advice to Pinterest. Um, and as they got bigger, that eventually turned into a full-time offer. Uh, and so uh, I left Unilever in 2014 and, and went out there. Um, and I did that for two years. I was actually uh, living East Coast at the time and working on the West Coast. And so that, that didn't work out uh, for the long term, uh, you know, just from a personal perspective. And so as I was looking for something else to do, um, I was looking around, and I thought I'd go to another digital startup. You know, I'd, I'd worked pretty hard to sort of make sure I could be positioned that way, and that's what I was thinking about. And um, there was a job opening here uh, for a head of brand at the New York Times, and uh, I'm not going to say anything my boss doesn't already know, but I was, um, you know, I, w- I was kind of reluctant because uh, I didn't think of, you know, I thought of this place as a bit of a, you know, as a newspaper and an incredible brand, but not necessarily a place that needed a marketer. And as uh, I, I ended up taking the meeting uh, with my boss, my now boss, uh, Meredith Levian, uh, who was the chief revenue officer at the time, and she convinced me that this place is, a, is really a digital, uh, a digital tech company and a digital news source, and in some ways a, a nonfiction Netflix, if you will. And that felt like a place that needed a marketer. Um, and so I, uh, I came, and uh, it's now actually been three years last week, and then that's how I got here. Well, con- convince me it's, it's a digital play here, because when I think of a Newspaper. I think of uh, I think of a paper. You know, something you hold in your hand and and uh, read over coffee. And um, and so, when you made that transition, how much of uh, of the New York Times was digital, and how is it you were thinking about as a technology and digital play? Yeah. So you know, we've got a monthly uh, unique number of about 140 million global. Um, and we've got uh, four, now today 4.3 million subscribers. Of that, you know, only a little less than a million are reading it in a newspaper. 
Um, and so, you know, you've got 139-ish million people um, who are not using the newspaper of our, of our audience. Um, and so, uh, you know, you look at it that way. Um, more than three quarters of our traffic is mobile, not even just digital. Um, We've got a lot of engineers here. Um, you know, we're a digital product, and most people are accessing us either on the web or, or, um, or increasingly on an app. Um, and uh, you know, most of the audience is coming to our own destination. You know, our own destinations. Although we certainly have a lot of traffic through the platforms, um, and so it's a tight balance for us between those two things. But it's it's all. It's almost all digital access, and that's not to say that we don't have a very thriving and important to our business print business, because we certainly do. Um, but when you look at it by volume, uh, you know, volume of interactions, it's certainly mostly digital. Wow. Yeah, actually, that really helps because I'm sort of used to seeing in everybody's driveway, particularly on Sundays, the the very attractive New York Times bundle that's sitting out there. But I, I, I didn't realize that how much of it was online. So that's that's really, really, really incredible. Well, and the other thing, of course, is that that transforms your business in this business because now you've got to be publishing all the time. Right. And um, and so most articles, you know, by the time you see them in the newspaper, have already gotten a big life. Um, uh, you know, even things like the magazine, um, which publish on the weekend, um, you know, most of the articles in the magazine have already started trafficking by, you know, Thursday or Friday um, and are getting a big audience before they before they come to you in, in print. So uh, just speaking of that, I, I started the show by talking about the tragedy happening in Paris with yes. the fire there. I'm, I'm assuming the New York Times is already covering that. Yeah, definitely, definitely true. It was an interesting moment here because uh, today is actually the uh, awards of the Pulitzer Prizes. Um, uh, and so uh, it's a big special moment here at the Times. It's a totally internal thing, but the, everyone in the company uh, who's in the New York office, uh, you know, probably – probably 2,000 people all crowd into uh, two floors that have like a balcony and hear the, uh, you know, hear the announcements. And as they were doing that, the, um, uh, the tragedy uh, in, in Paris is on the screens behind them. And so it was a real, a real contrast between, you know, people achieving awards for, you know, a lifetime of work um, and, uh, and that tragedy on the screens behind them. It was, it was something to notice. Yeah, what a juxtaposition of sort of emotions that was going on. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm trying to think about here you've got sort of a dynamic product that's changing moment by moment, you know, following stories like that. And I'm contrasting that with uh, when you were at Axe and you have a, a physical product and one that you know would rarely change it's got it's got to be a a a just such a transition to go from th- that context at Unilever to what it is that you're doing uh, at the New York Times talk talk to us a little bit about how that changes your role in thinking yeah i mean changes it a ton i mean a few big ways uh, probably the the two biggest are one that were um you really can't understate the importance of sort of in the physical world, in the Unilever world, most of our business was being sold through distribution, right, through retail. Uh, and so the role of our retail partners was really critical to the marketing role and making sure that they were coming with you, um, as opposed to, I think, uh, even in the product space, a lot of, you know, startups today and then certainly in the digital space, um, you know, we're, we're direct to consumer, all of our business, there's no distribution partner. And so the, the speed of the data we get, the direct conversation we get with the user is just really dramatic um, and really lets us move with a lot more speed. Um, 
And then the second thing that was that's really different is that in this type of company, and Pinterest was the same, marketing is not the center of the organization. Um, at Pinterest, it was the engineers, and at times, at the times, it's the newsroom, and increasingly, it's also the the engineers. Um, it was certainly with the newsroom being the most important. Um, and so, in marketing, you have to talk differently. You have to learn to think to to you know behave in the process differently when you have to work with people for whom marketing's not top of their mind or the most important thing they're thinking about um or something that they've spent decades learning uh and so it changes the conversation in a really different way i find it really really motivating and and um empowering in that you have, you have to learn to talk about your craft in a way that just feels more like regular english <laughs> um uh, uh you know and um as opposed to you know how we would talk about it in your classes uh in a lot of depth um and you know, it's it's really different, and it's I, I like it this way. Well, it's it's funny. You know, when you were at Unilever, you were sort of king because marketing marketing was certainly king, mm-hmm. and so it was front and center. You're saying it's energizing, where marketing is not the real driver. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, because obviously, I work here to make to try to have some impact. And so in doing that, it, it challenges me to really say, what can I do that, that can make a difference in this great place that was surviving? You know, um, we're pretty sure, although this place is so old, it's hard to know, um, that I'm the first CMO at the New York Times. That's 160 years. This place has done just fine without a CMO. Yeah, right. <laughs> so we can have a different conversation about whether, whether that means people need a CMO. But <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, uh, let's, just, let's hope the answer is yes. And if you look at this place, I've got to, I've got to really, I guess, for lack of a better term, I've got to earn that, that, that honor. And I've got to make it matter that they've decided to invest and have that. Um, and so it, 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 it forces me to innovate and to think and, to, and for our team to really make the creativity that we know we can offer um, make a difference both conceptually and to the user and, and on the business right now. And obviously, this is a tough industry um, who's, who's in a lot of change and whose future is really hard to see. And so you've got to, you know, and this, we really got to earn every resource that we ask for. Um, you know, whereas uh, I think in, you know, in, in my old roles, uh, it was a question of how to use the resources well. It wasn't a question of whether they were going to spend them. Mm-hmm. And so it really changes the dialogue, I think. And, you know, I think it depends on what you want to do, um, which is right for you. Uh, but I think in this case, I just find it, you know, it's, it's been a great transition to move into that world and to be able to, and to apply the things I learned. And I'm so grateful to have learned in all those years in consumer products, um, but to be able to apply them in a place that that doesn't know, you know, that doesn't have the same muscles for for working that way, but has other muscles that, you know, that that are very different, that are very well-developed. Let me remind our audience, you're listening to Measured Thoughts uh, on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We're currently speaking to David Rubin, who is the first CMO of the New York Times, and you can give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. So, David, I want to uh, uh, pick up on on your last point you kind of raised there. I know... um, Dave Reepstein here, uh, you know, thinks a lot about marketing accountability. And it seems like that's kind of what you're you're hinting at, that, you know, you have to make your position uh, viable and you have to account for your position. So along those lines, what kinds of things are you measuring? What kinds of uh, outputs, whether it's impressions or revenue, how are you kind of, you know, proving to this newsroom that, hey, you know, we do need a CMO. It, it is relevant. And it is important. I think there's really two things. Um, at the at the business level, 
the, the journey we're on at the Times is to become a subscription-first business. Well, we are a subscription-first business, but to be subscription-supported. And so we're you know, while advertising is important to us, um, our commitment uh, since 2014 is to be supported by subscriptions. And in order to do that, we need a whole lot more people to pay to pay for the news. You know, today in the United States, there's about 180 million digital news readers every month, just generally. And there, we think there's fewer than 15 million people paying for digital news. So just think about that for a second. Think of another category where 180 million people in America are using it and fewer than 15 million people are, are paying for it. Imagine that in consumer products or in hamburgers or something like that, where most people were getting it for free. Wow. Um, wow. Uh, and so, um, and then you couple that with that in our world, um, we're charging, and many of our competitors are not. So also imagine back in, say, my Axe days, if Axe's main deodorant competitors were giving away the product, but Axe was charging. Right. Um, like, who would pay for it, right? And right. so um, that's the world we're trying to convince people of. And so in our measurement, the most important thing for marketing is getting more people to subscribe uh, and growing the category. This is really a category growth job of which there's so few left in this world. Um, and, uh, and so that's really exciting. And we measure ourselves on both short-term and mid-term, our ability to get more people to pay for the news. And then the second thing we measure on, which is more of a, an equity kind of measurement is that, you know, historically, um, the Times didn't do a lot of telling its own story, uh, and that marketing was much more about only the business terms. You know, here's how much it costs today on the assumption that you already read the Times and knew you wanted it. In this world, what we're marketing is our, new, is our news product and our journalists, right? What we're marketing is our mission, mm-hmm. um, which in our case, our, our business and our mission are the same thing. Um, and so we're trying to get... Um, you know, we measure ourselves on our ability to deliver the importance of that of that mission, and the fact that what the Times is doing is different. So that's the second thing we measure on. So again, just to repeat, the first thing we measure on is subscriptions and driving business and getting more people to subscribe. And the second thing we measure on is our ability to get people to understand the mission and how the Times is different. So, so what do you spend on? What do, what is it you do? What activities do you do? to try and, and accomplish that first mission of uh, increasing the number of subscribers. Because, you know, I look at it and I say, you created some of your own problem. You, and I, I use you in uh, more than just you, obviously, <laughs> the industry. And what it is that we see is you start giving it away initially. And um, and then you said, okay, we're going to start charging. You want to subscribe? You know, we're going to charge you for that. So what what is it you do to get people to, to, to make that leap? Um, well, you know, obviously the first most important thing is have amazing journalism, um, which is our form of the product. Right. And, um, and that may sound obvious, but, you know, in this industry, whatever the exact numbers are, a whole lot of – of the of journalist jobs in the United States have disappeared. I think it's like half of journalist jobs in the United States are disappeared in the last decade or so. Right. Um, and so, with all these newsrooms cutting back, the Times actually has more journalists working at the Times today than it has in its history. Um, wow! That, really? that commitment's not easy, <laughs> right? And it's a, and as a public company, that commitment's very difficult. Uh, and certainly, the you know coming out of the financial collapse, you know, this place was in a lot had a, had a lot of financial difficulties, and um, yet they still kept that commitment um, to 
the number of reporters into pure journalism. And so that's the first most important thing we do. Um, uh, and while that's not a marketing decision, it's it's critical. And then, you know, the next thing we do um, is we have a pay model. We have friction that we put up that makes it, you know, that, that limits the amount you can read once you get to, once you get to sample it. Um, and so, you know, it's important. We're a news source and that we want people to see our journalism. At the same time, we also want you to know you have to pay. And so we create that friction. And then the third thing we do is we market um, a lot of uh, performance marketing, um, finding people who uh, have interacted with Times Journalism, and then asking them to pay. And then I guess the fourth thing we do, which is a little outside your question, is we also market our, our mission. We market our, you know, our brand values, and that's something that we've been doing just the last couple of years uh, with, in order to help people sort of see what we stand for and, and have the Times feel relevant to them. So that's kind of the, the highest level, the, the cocktail. So I, I do want to understand that of, um, of what it is that you do stand for and 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 how it is that you try and think about that. So I'm, I, I've got to come back to that for sure. But um, I'm going to start with uh, where you started, which is thinking about amazing journalism. And um, and I'm trying to think about your role as the CMO and how much input you have or how much input you think you should have into the content of the newspaper. And I think I know what your answer is going to be, and I think I'm going to disagree with you. <laughs> um, well, the the answer. So, if if we're talking about individual stories and individual, you know, any piece of of journalism in the atomic sense, it's none. Um, right. And we right. don't we don't impact that. I can't get a I can't get a story made, even if I have a great idea, and I can't stop one if I thought it was a bad one, and I wouldn't try. But um, so th- there's no influence over the specific journalism itself. Um, however, where we do start to interact is that you know the for instance the audience insights team is in my team. Um, we where we we look at the larger picture, the long term of where we're trying to go, and we talk about who that audience is and what they may want from us. So as we think about what formats might be offered, as we think about what off platforms we partner with, um, as we think about, uh, you know, um, the long term of what our audience may want from us journalistically, particularly outside of the core news, um, those are all things we think about sort of branding our properties, whether it be like the daily podcast, which is the number one podcast in America, which comes from the New York Times. Um, Though, you know, how do you name that? Uh, Those kinds of things marketing uh, is involved in, and it's a great partnership. And I think it's, it's really helped people see how you can, you know, create value in in a way that still is very mission driven uh, for the long term. But when it comes to individual journalistic influence, there's, there's, there's no interplay there. Yeah. So, you know, it turns out we may not disagree as much as I had uh, had anticipated. <laughs> you know, I think of a marketer as not just, hey, we got a product, we have to go out there and try and sell it, but also um, bringing information in as to here's what the audience wants, here's what they want to be uh, hearing, and um, and trying to influence some of that. So, for example, it might be with respect to the paper. Uh, you know, we, we, uh, our readers would really like to see more international coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be, you know, not specific articles. It sort of is direction. And I'm hearing you do that. Is, yeah. that, is that correct? That, that is correct. There is, there is an ability to, to, to say, you know, to be that voice of the, of the reader and say, here's what we're hearing people want. And, and also 
segmenting out between the reader and the subscriber. Um, where, where the line gets firmer is when you get into, so now I'm going to write this piece about it. And right. then we're not involved in that. And, you know, also the newsroom has full autonomy over its decisions, over how it staffs and what it does. So those are insights and input um, that we're giving. Uh, they're not, you know, mandates and dictates. Um, but, uh, but, but we are invited into the discussion uh, in a way that I think is, is, is helpful. If it is sort of the, the long term and it's about areas of coverage or areas of distribution or types of formats or, or those kinds of things. Uh, we're currently speaking to David Rubin, who's the CMO of the New York Times. And if you want to give us a call, you can call us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Uh, David, I, I would presume that you actually would get a lot of pushback from the editorial side of, you know, you stay on your side of uh, of the corridor over there and, uh, and, and don't bother us very much. But I'm sort of curious when you have you said you have an insights group. What is it they're really looking for and, and, and what sort of insights are you gathering? Well, you know, they, they work across the enterprise. So they do everything from why do people subscribe to um, why do people um, – uh, to, to what do they want, like the kinds of questions you were asking about, about, you know, what types of coverage they would want. Um, we get into why do they cancel. Um, we get into, you know, um, we obviously look at how they feel about other news sources. Uh, we obviously look at things like just general equity feeling about, you know, how do they feel about um, how do they feel about the times? How are we different than others? So it's really just a very broad uh, look at sort of where we stand, what our product looks like. Um, we'll do a lot of – we will also do um, UX research, so, you know, looking at how do you enjoy using the app, where's friction in using that, how could we make the products better, those kinds of things. Um, so the other thing that you ended up talking about and raising was um, what it is that the New York Times stands for. And when you said that, you know, one of the things I had to think about was all the political, you know, fervor mm -hmm. that's out there right now, the accusations of fake news and, um, and, and uh, trying to figure out what is it that the New York Times stands for? How much role do you have in that? And um, what is there a clear positioning for uh, the New York Times? Yeah, um, we think that uh, we we think what we stand for is we seek the truth and we help people understand the world. Um, and so, the, just to break that down for a little bit, because they're they're somewhat related, um, but it is there are a couple of thoughts in there. So the the seek the truth is really our core historical journalistic mission, uh, and very much in the core news space, you know of independent journalism. We follow the story wherever it may lead, uh, and we publish the story no matter what that means to, uh, to our business consequences. Um, and so that's, uh, you know, that, that's probably the core tenet. Uh, and then when we get more into sort of what's the proposition for the user, we help people understand the world. And so just to break that down for a second, understanding for us is about, is, you know, all news sources are imparting knowledge and information. But we think understanding is, requires you to have a, a deeper look. It requires you probably to have multiple touch points. It may even require a little more a little more work uh, from the from the reader uh, herself. And so we um, that's understanding. And then the world, you know, there's really no one who covers 
uh, geographically the world like we do, more journalists in more places. But also it's your world. You know, the Times is, yes, for core news and politics, like you said, but we're also doing guides and we're doing uh, business coverage and we're doing um, – we have Wirecutter, which makes recommendations of what products to buy. We have uh, the largest pay-supported pay cooking product uh, in the country, uh, and so recipe product. And so, you know, we can see that we cover a lot of ground around your world, all of which about this journalistic product and all of which about helping you understand the world through independent reporting. Right. So, you know, the first thing that you mentioned there was um, we stand for the truth. But I, I got to admit, there's lots of different perspectives on what the truth is. And my guess is that there would be some part uh, that that says, well, this is the New York Times version of the truth. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how you manage that of, you know, we really, you know, are you providing sort of, you know, multiple perspectives on the same thing? Uh, in different different people looking at at an angle from uh, you know for lack of any other example of from different political perspectives yeah i mean first of all the, the highest level we, we don't believe that we stand for the truth we be, we believe we stand for seeking the truth and there's a really important difference so if you've seen our campaigns uh the lines have been things like the truth is hard uh, the truth has a voice, and now it's the truth is worth it. We're, we don't think we're saying that the Times is is the only source, or even always, um, you know, as perfect as we want to be. <laughs> um, and but what we do think is that there is a journalistic process that is critical to your journey as a reader to finding the truth. And we think that journalism, particularly professional, independent, original, fact-based journalism, is critical to an individual's. Um, search for the truth uh, as one source that you should have. Um, when you get into your question of opinion, which is, of course, separate from reporting and, and is right. a fact that not everybody everybody knows in the modern digital era, um, yes, definitely in, 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 in opinion, we, we present you know, through our opinion pages and through um, many of our op-ed contributors, we have voices on with lots of perspectives, and we think it's really important. We see our role in opinion as about becoming a platform and fostering intelligent debate, setting the grounds for intelligent debate, um, more so than telling anyone how to think. So I, I've got to ask you the, uh, the the delicate question of fake news, mm -hmm. which is, you know, you, you hear these accusations that are out there. I'm sure you, you've uh, been asked this question many times. How, how is it you're trying to deal with um, the accusations that have that claim fake news? And that's not directed exclusively to The New York Times. And what I find uh, people do is in, in today's era, you anything you disagree with, you call fake news. Mm -hmm. um, and, and um, you know, given that you're seeking the truth, how is it you try and, and deal with that? And and how much of that falls on your shoulders versus uh, falling uh, on the other side of the house? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's very complicated. And I think it's really important for us that we, we really don't want to be seen as oppositional to any person or party. It, it is really critical in that seek the truth um, part of our mission that we are we hold power to account and power in in the American system rests with different parties at different times. And so 
um, that, of course, sets up a dialogue if somebody wants a narrative, if somebody wants to have it. But big picture, actually, our executive editor has said, you know, you, we, we can't be oppositional to any one party or place because that party changes. And as soon as they do, the other party, if you were oppositional, would expect you to then be supportive of them. Uh, and that's not how the times works. Uh, whoever's in power, our role and the role of the fourth estate is to offer um, is to, is to is to show the facts wherever they lead and to hold hold power to account. And whether that's in politics, whether that's our coverage of um, sexual harassment um, with articles like the Harvey Weinstein story and Bill O'Reilly, right, right. um, lots of different topics. Um, uh, we have a um, well, um, we're doing lots of coverage of the tech industry. You know, it's anyone who is who has amassed lots of power in the society and using facts and reporting to, to shine a light on it. And so that's really important to sort of how we see our positioning. Um, and, that, and that means that, you know, we sort of, that limits us in terms of how we engage in that debate, because it's really important to us that we think it's perfectly fine for people to question um, and contribute to our, our journalism. Um, we're very open to that. And uh, in fact, we, we seek it. Um, it's when the dialogue starts to, our publisher has talked a lot about this, is it's when, our, it's when the dialogue starts to, to take a different tone um, uh, and it starts to get very personal that it starts to set an environment um, that, can be, that can be quite dangerous for press freedom. Uh, and that definitely starts to worry, worry us. So, um, so I, you know, I, I'm, we're about to run out of time, and I guess I, I want to ask you one more question, which is really one of, you know, what's the future look like? What could we anticipate, you know, will be the next thing sort of coming out of the New York Times? And, uh, and I raise that in the light of you came from an industry that was just growing so quickly in Pinterest, mm -hmm. and then you jumped over to an industry that's dying. Um, and, um, and while the New York Times has not been... I'm sort of curious about um, what's what's ahead, what's the future. Well, look, I mean, I think fundamentally, people are. This is a high interest category. If you want to talk about it in classic brand terms, right? People care about the news, um, and they and they have historically cared about the news sources. And so, we do think that people. One of the things that has happened in the in the last few years is people have started to realize that just reading whatever news comes your way uh, on a digital platform has um, has its drawbacks. Uh, and that there's start a lot of people are seeking out quality journalism and quality journalistic sources that they can trust. And so, while we think the sort of formats, you know, I think we'll continue to move digital. I think we'll continue to move into a subscription, um, you know, into a subscription supported model. Um, but I, I think the, you know, while the business model may change, and I think the formats of, you know, what are you reading and we do reading in words versus seeing in pictures versus VR and AR and everything else, all audio, all those things will continue to change. The fundamentals of sort of wanting a journalistic source that you can trust um, and need to actively seek out and support yourself. I think those things, I think we're on a path where that's going to become more important um, even than it is today. Uh, David, I got to tell you, you make us proud here at Wharton. I think you're just doing amazing things, and I think that's great. So thank you very much for joining us today, and uh, I really appreciate uh, you being with us. And don't be a stranger. Come on down and visit for sure. 
Will do, and thank you so much. And you know, I have to say, you know, I I wouldn't be here if it weren't for the Wharton education and 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 your class specifically. Uh, so, thank you for giving me the chance to be here, and I, thanks for having me back on the show. Well, I appreciate it very much. Please do stay with us, everyone. We're going to need to take a short break. Uh, when we get back, we'll take your calls on anything marketing, branding, and metrics. Uh, related, as well as your reactions to the interview that we just had in the last segment of the program. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Or you can send us an email at measuredthoughtsxm at gmail.com. This is Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 